0: The Business of Agriculture is brought to you by Land Trust. Have you heard how landowners are increasing profitability by adding recreation to their portfolio of land use? Millions of outdoor recreators seek wide open spaces for bird watching, photography, hunting, fishing, horseback riding, and many other farm and ranch activities. Landowners are partnering with the Recreation Access Network, Land Trust. Land Trust is an online platform connecting recreators with landowners for outdoor experiences on their land to increase profitability. Visit LandTrust.com slash BOA, as in business of agriculture, to learn more. That's LandTrust.com slash BOA.
1: Well, greetings and welcome to another fantastic episode of the Business of Agriculture. It's me, your host, Damian Mason, but you already knew that. because You heard that in the introduction. Uh, this episode, as so many before it brought to you by my good friends at Land Trust, you know, they're capitalizing on this thing that you have. If you have agricultural land, that's not really agriculturally productive. It's like woods. It's uh, it's it's streams. It's ponds. It's a it's a cabin why don't you use land trust and turn that into money? It's like the Airbnb concept. You don't have to do it for a long-term lease. You can just say, hey, someone comes to home and uses." this, you turn it into money and use that for your fun time. You know what? That's what land trust does, help you capitalize on an asset that you have that you're not fully appreciating. Speaking of fully appreciating, I fully appreciate my guest. His name is Jared Creed. Jared does work with Uh, our good friend, Kelly Garrett. Kelly Garrett has been on this podcast. As you probably remember, he's also a founding member of Extreme Ag. I'm working with the boys over at Extreme Ag, producing content and and telling everybody about the product trials and all the great business and farming lessons that they can teach you over at ExtremeAg.farm. Well, Jared Creed works with Kelly Garrett in Iowa. He is the proprietor of JC Marketing Services and JC Ag Financial. Jared Creed is essentially the guy that tries to tie together uh, insurance, marketing and the CFO role of farming operations. And I talked to him at a conference I spoke at in January and I said, you know, I hear good things about you. I think I'd like you to come on and tell me what you do what sets you apart, why your service is needed, and the things that you see out here. You know, farming is a business. Um, All this stuff, as you well know, dear Business of Agriculture listener, it it ain't American Gothic. It it ain't Norman Rockwell. It's a business. And so we're going to talk about a lot about the business side, and especially now in these topsy-turvy, tumultuous times that we've now seen with the Ukraine invasion by Russia. Global markets are going crazy. What do you do? How do you keep your sanity? Jared's going to answer all that stuff and more. Welcome to the Business of Agriculture podcast, Mr. Jared Creed.
2: Damon, I appreciate the invite.
1: Well, and I, I said a little bit about setting you up. What did I miss? Background, you're an Iowa guy or you're at least an Iowa resident now. Give me a little bit about your background and then what JC Marketing Services and JC Ag Financial does.
2: I was born and raised down by Wichita, Kansas, uh, moved to Iowa in 2013 after working in the ag industry in central Kansas for about a decade prior, met my wife over in Denison, Iowa. Uh, we lived in Omaha area. She worked for GPRE. I worked for Gavilon. Uh, once we decided to have our first child, uh, we wanted to get back around her family in Northeast Iowa. So now we live in Hudson, uh, which is right outside of Waterloo Cedar Falls. Uh, She's stay-at-home mom, uh, started our own gig in 2017. Uh, we work with uh, not quite 50 farms throughout the Midwest that amass uh, around 200,000 acres, primarily west of the Mississippi, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, Missouri, Iowa, Minnesota, we catch the overwhelming majority. Then we also do some consulting for a few different banks, a few different other large uh, co-ops. Uh, and uh, some random presentations throughout the year as well, different seed meetings and fertilizer meetings. Uh, You know, JC Marketing was the first business. We actually launched JC Ag Financial about 18 months ago. Quite frankly, I wish we launched JC Ag Financial first, um, kind of in in an idea of keeping the horse in front of the cart. Uh, I found over the last couple of years that the importance of having a crystal clear understanding of one's financial scenario uh, is a heck of a lot more important than, um, you know, much more imperative when you're making marketing decisions, I should say.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, we went all those years on the JC marketing side, you know, ultimately making probably some silly assumptions. And what our real true costs were, you know, we might discuss the cost production a time or two a year and then park it and forget about it. Now in the JC Ag financial business, I um, have uh, staff that prior to working through JCAG financial worked with Farm Credit. Uh, we leverage two different software platforms called Zero and Figured. Uh, you mentioned kind of the CFO role for a farm. Uh, not many operations like to take care of their bookwork on a timely basis. Uh, and oftentimes whatever bookwork does take place on a farm is typically looking at yesterday's numbers or 30, 60, 90 days ago numbers. Uh, instead, we're always constantly looking forward trying to have as clear of a vision of what the financial outcome looks to be of the farm on making XY decisions, whether it's purchasing land, paying X amount of rent, buying a tractor, uh, you know, crop rotations based upon what marketing opportunities are there and then tracking that as the growing season goes on or until that crop year actually, uh, you know, finishes and in a tumultuous environment that we've been in the last 18 months of inflation, it's been, it's been critical. Uh, you know, it's no, it's no secret that our cost production has screamed higher recently. Uh, but now being able to take several years worth of real raw data from any financial account that a farm uses, whether it be a checking account, savings account, line of credit, credit card, you name it. Every transaction that transpires on the farm is reconciled down to a farm level, operational level, entity level, you name it. Uh, and then we're able to start talking about the marketing needs. You know, on the marketing services side, is it's pretty black and white, Damien. Um, you know, uh, completely focused on profitability. Uh, we don't like the speculation game. Farmers do love to speculate, so there ends up still being a little bit of that here and there. Uh, but we try to bring all of the real information together to almost uh, be a, a you know a board of advisors for a farm, perhaps. Okay. Uh,
1: I want to, I want to stop you because there's a bunch of things. And if I don't get you stopped, I'm jotting down as <laughs> quick as so my little finger, my fingers can work, but uh, a couple of things, just cause I think it's, let's go back to the, the beginning there. You worked in corporate before you got and started this thing, your role, when you were in corporate, you rattled off a couple of company names between you and your wife. And I didn't get it, write those down. What was your, before you started this, the role you had was essentially being a marketing advisor to farming operations, correct?
2: Uh, yeah, I was a marketing advisor in Kansas for a co-op called Mid-Kansas Co-op and Team Marketing Alliance. Everything I know today, I'm still uh, very thankful I had the opportunity to work with them. And have built on a sense when I moved to Iowa, I worked for the Andersons yeah. uh, at an ethanol plant uh, in Denison, Iowa, and then had an opportunity to go work in Omaha at Gavilon, uh, more or less a um providing farm risk management services to 150 different elevators in a Gabelon network, uh, kind of in charge of North American grain origination, I guess you'd say. Okay. Uh, and from there, um, you know, like I mentioned, in 2017, had our first child, wife wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. I knew I was going to travel a little bit, start my own gig. Uh, and it's nice to be right around her family here at Fort going. Absolutely. So
1: all makes sense. I just want to make sure I got that. So the background, obviously, you, you you came out of school and were a marketing, grain marketing, commodities marketing guy. That was kind of what's what your specialty is. But then you had a few other roles there when you were serving uh, the company Gamble and and risk management beyond just the marketing of commodities, right? But
2: I'll tell you one thing, Damien. That uh, in two thousand seven ish, I had no clue that i was going to uh be in the ag industry i actually got out of college and went straight to the air force uh went to base training in tech school uh was stationed out of wichita and topeka kansas for a period of time and next thing i knew i'd go talk with my brother at, <laughs> in the town that the co-op is in and here i am today so it's has been a wild ride that is a wild ride not even from a farm background uh i grew up in a service station actually in sumner county kansas prior to we capital of the world uh, i grew up working on farm equipment truck tires split rent tires i'm sure a bunch of your listeners will uh laugh at that i've had plenty of my share of split rent tires blowing up on me and that was kind of dad's message that you're not going to stay in this business long term
1: i like it okay so uh, you you've got this thing that uh you're saying hey we're a little different you know i can buy crop insurance uh, I on the Internet, I can make a phone call and I've worked for crop insurance organizations speaking at their conferences, and I'm in no way bashing on crop insurance, just that it's a commodity. It's everywhere. It's all the same price. So there's that part. And then also and take this the right way. I have been on the ag speaking circuit long enough at every meeting you can imagine there's a lot of folks that are out here saying, hey, I'll be your grain marketing advisor. I'll be your commodity marketing advisor. There's a bunch of them. And again, it's a service that is needed, but it's kind of like insurance agents and grain marketing people are on every corner. What's different about you? You sure. sort of bridge the gap between all of them, but then you say CFO role.
2: And there's a tremendous amount of powerful resources in the industry, whether that be at the banking level, the accountant level, crop insurance agent, marketing brokers, you name it. One of the things that I suppose I'm I'm most proud about is our relationship with the farmer is we have no incentive making decisions on their behalf. As in, we're not a broker. We're not a crop insurance agent. Uh, I'm very in tune in the brokerage world, uh, have plenty of history within the commercial world of trading, speculatively. Uh, I've ran an insurance agency. um, Oftentimes, Maybe uh, I guess I'll just say it. Unfortunately, I mean, I do find myself educating producers, insurance agents more often than not. And our role on the farm is to bring all of these variables together for the farmer instead of having him have to wear 12 different hats. We cut it down in half or less.
1: Yeah. So, what uh, you just said there, you're, you're not a broker. Um, I mean, you know, you, you read about finances, even at a, a consumer level. Uh, should the person advising you on your finances also be the person that's selling you your investments? You know, that's the argument that a. A fee based financial advisor would tell you, like, you just pay me a fee per year and I'm going to help you get rich, but you're not going to be paying me a commission to sell you stuff. That's probably a a kind of a pitch you have. I'm not I'm not selling you I'm not selling you on my services to broker your stuff. I don't make a commission by liquidating your grain and I don't make money off of selling you insurance policy. That's part of the pitch of JC marketing and financial.
2: That that would be a true um, uh, vision of the company, but I like to tell people we don't have a pitch. The proud piece that I'm, uh, the the thing that I'm most proud about, we don't advertise, we don't cold call. One hundred percent of our business, and I mean it, one hundred percent is from referrals, and that makes life. A lot easier. You would get you, to would you just day day.
1: let me? Would you just let me give you accolades right there? Because you said 100 of our business from referrals. What you didn't say is it's all word of mouth. Because in that book right over my shoulder right there, the Do Business Better book, I put a segment in there that word of mouth is bullshit. That would imply to the average Yahoo that's never run their own business that you just woke up and everybody word of mouth you into success. It's called. Word of, I've earned my reputation by doing right by my clients and my customers. And because I've done a great job for them, now other people trust me based on their recommendation to come and do business with me. That's why I do not like the word word of mouth. I love the fact that referral and and reputation is really what you're talking about. So I appreciate that. So you don't have a pitch, but okay, you're not pitching. I appreciate that. Why then, Um, people come to you is because they don't they're not just coming to get sold to I guess is what I'm saying
2: when a producer calls us or we call a producer they know that we might talk about an opinion of what's taking place in the marketplace uh, various angles but we're always going to relate it back to their farm their well-being their risk their reward and devise a strategy and plan from there and it's constantly back to you instead of me suggesting you, Damon. Hey, your investment strategy should be X, Y, Z uh, versus me. saying, Hey, we have all of these different individuals that are all mingling towards this particular investment strategy. That strategy is different for every single different individual and every different operation. Uh, there is no one size fits all. Uh, a lot of different operations have different comfort levels. Uh, and again, given the fact that I, yeah, I'm i not um, in any way, shape, or form uh, diminishing the efforts and the great people in the insurance space and the broker space, but I don't have to worry about selling something to a client to make a living. They know that when I'm talking to them, it's, it's about their farm, their well-being.
1: All right. Now, again, I'm just asking these questions because I, I, I know that I, I preface by saying farming is a business. You know, these people that are my neighbors out here in the suburbs of Arizona sometimes don't understand that. They think it's all, uh, you know, a Norman Rockwell painting and you're just out mm-hmm. there, uh, you know, hanging out with your uh, with your hen house and your uh, but you and I know it's a business. We talked about the CFO role. Uh, I'm more businessy than I am uh, producery. You know, I've got the farm boy background. Most farm people, love to produce, and I get that man that's but uh, but they get paid by the bushel, by the pound, by the gallon, whatever that should be uh, <clears throat> generally, they do not like to be the desk person, and some of them are horrifically bad at the money side, and as there is a, they're as bad at the money side as they are good at the production side. Is that where you think that you add the most value?
2: There's a lot of truth to that. Uh, maybe more than anything being able to provide them an accurate view of the future of their financial well-being. Yeah. Uh, I'm not trying to predict the future. We're just showing them solid math, the real numbers on their operation. And a good example is in this tumultuous market that we've been in for the last couple of weeks, Having that information at the fingertip to come to the producer to say your estimate profitability today is six hundred and seventy-five thousand and two hundred and twenty-one dollars, based upon your APH, your insurance guarantee. Wait, AP, APH? Wait, wait, alphabet said APH. APH means actual production history, ten-year yield history. Obviously, there's a lot of wiggle room in that from the spring to the fall based upon what a final yield is for the producer. But being able to make it as simple as this is your estimate profitability in real dollars and cents, how does that make you feel? And if it makes you feel good, we ought to be doing something about it. If you don't like it, then obviously you know that you have some more work to do.
1: Okay. Uh, The money side of it, though, uh, I asked you, if you think that's where you bring the biggest – value um i know that I, I know farming operations and this is probably more old school certainly not at your client level base where it's almost they've succeeded uh in spite of themselves you know uh, because appreciation of the land asset um because they were always frugal but it wasn't because they're brilliant about handling the business side of it is that a mistake that you see?
2: yeah the money piece of it right now and the here and now is trying to prepare for the what if what if interest rates do move substantially higher over the coming 12, 24 months? How does that impact the farm? How do we stress test the farm in that type of environment? Uh, How does the farmer need to position themselves accordingly? Just like a CFO would be for a, a multinational company or a big conglomerate in the US, they're constantly looking at the next step of how do they need to position their company for future success.
1: Uh, I, I, first off, I agree with all that. So, um, marketing of the commodities, uh, some farm guys, that's what they do. They're on their phone all day doing it. Some just, again, they want to produce it and they want to talk about producing it and they want to stick it in the bin. What's your, I know that you'll say it varies. Um, it's going to vary from operation. You're going to tell me that. Tell me your concept on getting the stuff sold. I'm good at producing the oh. stuff. I'm good at producing this stuff. Now, you know what? And this would be Damian Mason. I hated Ag Econ 320. I took it. Joe Yule, you're probably dead now, professor from Purdue for 30 years ago. But you know what? I hated your class. I thought it was the most tedious thing I would rather. I have made the point that poor man, Mr. Marlon Bowling on the rural radio, who spends six hours a day doing the market report and you tune in, and he says, Oh, gosh, very exciting. Uh, two and a half cent move in the soybean complex. If that was my life, I would take a nine millimeter and put it in my mouth. I just absolutely. That's what I think when I think about commodity uh, trading and looking at getting excited over penny and a half moves in the soybean complex. You tell me what you think about it.
2: Prior to 2022, we basically always went to the farm with the idea, hey, we want to make worst case a $100 profit in April. And it'll
1: $100, $100 per $100, acre, worst that, case. That's your, that, goal. That's your goal.
2: That was uh, the starting point. But that has transitioned a little bit in the environment we're in. But $100 an acre, what did that represent for most farms? That represented somewhere 15 to 20% return. Now, a challenging question to any farm operation, and you too, Damien. Tell me another business in the U.S. that has the ability to have a subsidized backstop from the government and go turn a million dollars into $1.2 million in a 12-month span, year in, year out.
1: Yeah, so your assessment is that it's actually, as much as we like to be told from our farming friends, and you and I are both in this industry, you can't make any money. um, One thing that you just pointed out, and I've said this, first off, the answer to your question is there's none. There's very low, I mean, there's none on the front side of it. When ag people say, well, you don't even know what it's like, you don't have anything at risk. And I said, well, do you either? Because the United States department of agriculture, as you said, put subsidized backstops on it and gives you, uh, premium will help you pay for your crop insurance premium that guarantees you a break even revenue. Cool. My business for 28 years has never had the ability where the government would guarantee me revenue. Is that what we're talking about here that we really are in a farmers are in a good situation and that they can just about lock themselves into subsidized break even just through USDA programs, right?
2: there's opportunities of that, but then obviously the the bigger reward is obviously making more money than the break. We don't like to focus on break. Even we want worst case to be profit. And maybe one of the ways I've explained to people before is imagine that you're the CEO of a farm. They're all CEOs of their own farm, but you have a board of investors and in the here and now you're looking at 2023 and 2022 and have an opportunity to lock in a 30% return. And it's backed by the government. And if you do not do it, and things go sideways, what's that board of investors gonna say? Oftentimes, outside money looks at the farming space and just, it blows their mind that you spend this amount of money to only make this amount. Mm -hmm. Well, when the opportunity presents itself, and I don't care how, when, why, that's what we jump on. Whether it's cheaper inputs, bigger yield, higher prices, uh, it's. And I, I tell you what, Damien. One of my biggest pet peeves in the ag industry is the old idea of manager risk. Manager risk. Bullshit. Hey, man, tell me what. Risk. Tell me what your risk is. Uh-huh. Define your risk. Mm-hmm. What is the risk in the market? The prices that we're looking at today. The risk in the world around us is what's creating these higher prices. So the farmer's quote unquote risk today is change and change is the only constant. So change can be good or bad. You just have to be prepared. And that gets back to this, you know, what we do we're constantly prepared looking forward for what our next opportunity is. And quite frankly, in the last, um, you know, I don't even know if I'm supposed to say this, Daniel, when we're recording it, but, you know, in the last couple of weeks, the opportunity that has been presented for 2022 and 2023 has been like a weight lifted off my shoulders. January 1st, I thought 2022 is going to be an okay year. Mm -hmm. Markets have moved so substantially, it's going to be a banner year now. And I don't care what happens. High price, low price, Big yield, low year. We're going to have a very good year across a 10 year history. 2023, you know, relative to corn, it rallied a buck since January 1st. That's a tremendous lift of exposure for the farm, because in today's heightened input environment, uh, I'm pretty sure that has surpassed. The increase on inputs. You just heard me say two to three hundred dollar an acre profit, twenty to thirty percent return opportunity on the table with a normal yield, and you still make money if you fall short because you have your insurance.
1: Yeah. So what you just said there is a remarkable thing that uh, uh, we don't like to admit, and a lot of po- folks in agriculture won't admit. You have an ability to do a twenty percent return. And you've got uh, a backstop, as you said, that's a subsidized backstop that uh, that means that you're 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 being you're being prevented from losing. Frankly, you can be prevented. From or losing. even double dipping, Damien.
2: If I position ourselves worst case to make 20 percent and the market falls, I still get paid for my insurance, even if I put myself <laughs> in a position to succeed. Yeah.
1: So how. The, the actual act of doing that. And by the way, you also, uh, you said something that I liked there. You said in this industry, we always have manage your risk, manage your risk. And you, you said, you called bullshit on that and said, well, first off, let's define the risk. And then also the, the risk moves right now, the risk is what that we're going to come down on these commodity prices that have gone up. Is there another risk?
2: Look, the, the, the biggest risk for the farm is <laughs> is almost more emotional than anything, mental. As I had XYZ opportunity and I didn't do something about it, and you get the deer in the headlight looks and then everything just crumbles. The, the risk of complacency is the biggest risk for the farm.
1: The risk of complacency is the biggest risk for the farmer. That's shouldn't right. say the risk of complacency, but just complacency in general
2: is the risk for the farm. There, When I talk about locking in a worst-case profit, I'm talking worst-case as in things can still get better. There are tools in the industry from the insurance space, from the contracting space, hedge account, so on and so on, that you can – put yourself in an incredible situation for the next 24 months. And 2021 is going to be a spectacular year financially for almost all of American ag producers. You're talking
1: about the year we just completed.
2: Yeah. Tell, tell me a, a scenario where, on average, a producer makes over a 25% return across a three-year span. How many times in agriculture has that ever happened?
1: Yeah, and that's atypical. Very typical. Yeah.
2: So, uh, and and, you know, oftentimes there's um, the argument to this concept is, oh, but what if the market does X, Y, Z? Did we catch the high on 2021 crops? Absolutely not. Are we going to catch a high in 2022? Absolutely not. But you know, who handled their business in the three, four years prior to that are the ones who grew. And now we're in a position to make the same amount of dollars per acre on more acres pushing their operation further in the right direction while another operation that might have just gotten lucky in the last 18 months and lost money significantly in the years prior, they didn't have great opportunities to grow. And in fact, they might've shrunk.
1: Um, you say in one of the communications we had prior to hitting the record on this uh, recording right now, um, you talked about if, if you worked for a, a corporation, which you have, and I have, and, or if you were the owner of a, a, a non farming company, uh, maybe you had shareholders or investors, and you said you talked about goals and profit margins. And you said your closing line when you were responding to one of my queries, I wanted to talk about, you said ag shouldn't be any different, meaning ag as a business, which we began the podcast by saying. I, I point this out all the time. And one thing that I used to say in my speeches, Jared, was that old thing, and you're just probably just old enough to remember it. Did you hear about the farmer that won $2 million in the lottery? Said he's going to keep farming till he loses it all. Ha, ha, ha. Now, you say, who the hell thinks that's funny, first off? Secondly, that is such a bumpkin-ass coffee shop mentality. And thirdly, <laughs> what business – if would the dry cleaners be doing that? Hey, did you hear about the dry cleaner? He just thinks it's going to be such a joke that he thinks it's funny. He's going to go and tell everybody how he's going broke doing what he does. Nobody would even. He'd be like, "Why? What? Is, why would I think that somehow that's noble? Why? Would, why is it noble that, that this dry cleaner is losing his shirt? Why is it noble and humorous at the same time, and somehow all shucksy cool that we can talk about this? It drives me crazy because. This is a business.
2: It's the result of complacency. Like I mentioned, they look back on the opportunity that was lost and they have to, uh, and and obviously this is a touchy subject. And you and I both, our careers are based upon agriculture. We appreciate the agriculture industry, but there is a segment of the agriculture industry that constantly has to find uh, something to lighten the mood because of uh, what has transgressed over the past. Um, and you know, it, it, to take that a step further, you know, just, it wasn't 24 months ago that the farm community was in dire straits if business wasn't managed appropriately and it resulted in a of life. If you want to get to that level, I mean, people were, uh, yeah, we, we we had,
1: we had that situation. Now, the thing is, i I've got to tell you that and been around this my whole life that it it's also, there's a preventable aspect of that as well. And that we just talked about, you know, my brother works for the United States department of agriculture, and I have some of the, I understand the programs. There are programs that can, can be taken advantage of. Do you think that it's just, honestly, we talk about managing your risk. Do you think there's a category within production agriculture that just truly wants to just produce pounds and bushels and gallons and just truly does not have any interest or any capacity for the business side of it? Because in general, it seems like you should be able to lock yourself into break even or better every year.
2: Yes. Simple answer is yes. Uh, (laughs) In the commercial industry, we talk about the 80, 20 rule quite often. 80% of the production is coming from your top 20% of producers. That is arguably now 85, 15 in my mind with what's happened over the last couple of years on growth on business minded, successful operations. Mm -hmm. You talk about taking on more risk. Well, this guy's just risking it all. How do you know? Well, how do you know what business decisions he's making? How do you know that actually if a producer grows, you see or hear the coffee shop talk about, well, he paid X amount of dollars of rent. There's no way that's going to work. Yeah. You know what? We can show you case by case by case that a farmer is sometimes better off picking up more ground in a particular environment yeah. at a higher rent because mm-hmm. it's spreading out the balance of his fixed overhead expenses. Mm-hmm. And if it cash flows and he's making a hundred bucks an acre or whatever that is, yeah. he's winning.
1: Yeah. Well, remember economics 101 is you produce until the very end of your last marginal cost being covered. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that that uh, is something that is lost on some folks, meaning if you've got 4,000 acres, which it sounds like your typical consultant's uh, farming operation does based on two thousand two hundred thousand acres on 50 farms. And um, you say, you know what, we're already maxed out on, uh, uh, on where our costs are, but you know what, we've got time and we've got equipment. We can go over here and grab and even overpay for this 400 acres, 10% more to our operation. And we can then, because of where we are, we're going to be making a little less on those acres, but we also are making money on those acres. is kind of what you're saying.
2: I, I don't want to go off on a tangent to take. In completely I don't well. mind it. I kind of enjoy your tangents. I think that's a lot of the technology treadmill as well. When you we talk about the 80, 20 rule, there's a segment of producers that continue to adapt to newer and newer technology, creating more and more efficiencies, creating more of the time you just mentioned. Yeah. And if you have the time, time is money. And if that high dollar piece of equipment is sitting there, not operating in the entire time frame that it should, well, it's a cost, right? It's not necessarily an opportunity cost, it's just that and, and I think that continues to transpire, though, the individuals who adapted to some of the, um, you know, technology five years ago is now in the hands of that next tier. Right. And that's obviously the technology treadmill for U.S. agriculture in general.
1: Jared, I, I like that. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, swinging up. Uh, I know that uh, the the elevator, uh, not too far from my farm in Indiana, paying what sixteen dollars beans right now. So if you had soybeans that uncommitted and they were sitting in your grain bin. You could have sold them for eleven dollars. I remember what it just it was just in the spring, I think, uh, ten months ago. Do you hear what they're talking? Beans in the teens. You know, it was a big deal right there. Well, hell, they not only got to the teens of thirteen, they're to the teens of sixteen. You look kind of silly if you sold eleven to twelve dollars soybeans, don't you?
2: Uh, absolutely. I mean, there's always a way to look back on what you wish you did different. Uh, I think what's most important for 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 producers in particular. Is it's not about the first or the last sale; it's the combination of everything. There you go. And it's a it's a silly phrase, but there's still meat on the bone on it that you always hope that your next sale is your lowest sale, right? You are a producer of that end product. You spent money to create that end product. You want things to go in your favor. Uh, Look, uh, I would say that the move in the bean market this year is nowhere near as potentially painful as it was a year prior. Mm. Keep in mind, we were coming out of the trade war, coming out of COVID. There was a tremendous amount of beans priced between $9 to $10 out of the field, and beans went to 15 16 17 last summer as well. And that's a weather market, a huge piece of that uh, driven from South America problems last year and arguably the start of inflation. At the end of the day, back to your original question, you sell what works for your farm and you move on. Do you think Amazon gets egg on their face for a decision that satisfied investors, but could have been better? Yeah. Uh,
1: Well, you you know what they get? They get doubted in in the pages of the Wall Street Journal by people that are, uh, you know, Monday morning quarterbacks. Uh, well, you know where they totally screwed up. I'm like, well, wait a minute. I, I always point that out also. Well, you know what I'd do or what I'd have done. Like, well, you know what? You didn't.
2: It wasn't your business.
0: <laughs> right? you, you're ultimately making business decisions.
2: And yeah, I have a lot of input and say on that. Uh, we're never going to catch the high. <laughs> it's, it's a known. Uh, and that's the producers we work with. If they're looking for marketing advice as far as direction of the market. Then we're not a good fit for them. The end. Uh, if they're more interested in, in the day-to-day movements, kind of what you're talking about on certain individuals talking on TV, stuff drives me nuts. Uh, getting focused on day-to-day moves, it, it's it's the long term. It's working towards an end result, average that ultimately results in what your overall profitability is and moving forward in the right direction, building equity, building working capital, and reinvesting in that space if that's what you want to do long-term, and that's your end goal.
1: I got about three more questions for you, Jared Creed, uh, of JC Marketing Services and JC Ag Financial, because I do think that uh, there's some people listening to this could do some good for their business operation by looking you up. What's the, what does what, what farming operations get wrong? I mean, there's it could be anything I know it's from the estate planning to the, uh, you know, bringing in junior and junior is really not who should be in that role. That happens. I see that. And uh, uh, Julian Brown talks a lot about those kinds of things. But besides personnel or um, the, the, the struggle with the family relationship, let's talk about the business side of it. What do they get wrong?
2: Trying to avoid it on the same.
1: Yeah. And we've talked uh, about that. Chris, Chris Barron, as you well know, with uh, AgView Solutions, that's one of his biggies. Um, and I make jokes about it, that, that, that there are farmers that would just, they just about go out and like, uh, and, and do something bad to, you know, one of their appendages to avoid paying taxes. And it's like, what in the hell's wrong with you? But is that the big one?
2: Uh, I don't know if I would put it in necessarily a certain order. A business, every business in America, perhaps besides Tesla, it seems has to make money, <laughs> right? You well, don't Amazon
1: it. before it. Remember, Amazon was unprofitable for like a decade until they became. Now they uh, are the evil empire. But yeah, they were they were profitless for. Yeah, 10 but years. Amazon
2: obviously wasn't worth what they were a decade ago either, right? Right. Um, every business has to make money to achieve their long-term goals. Their whether it's growth, succession planning, uh, you name it. Too many times the thought of <clears throat> here's probably the best answer for you, Damon. they make it too emotional. They get married to the money they spend and the grain that they haven't been. Mm-hmm. It's too emotional, an emotional tie. Mm-hmm. I can't let it go because what if this happens?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh A feel good story or a bad story, you've been around this for a while and you made it about your business, but you see a lot of stuff. You got a you got a story for me that in the last year has struck you that you're like, oh, wow, Uh, this is something that I'd like to tell other people.
2: Well, (laughs) maybe the feel good piece is just seeing more and more farmers adapt to the idea of locking in profits whenever they're available because the speed of the market movement last summer would have drove somebody absolutely nuts. And there was windows of times, you know, three different times, if not four different times that, you know, our client base was outpacing probably the average producer to the tune of several hundred dollars an eight. Mm-hmm. And the result of that was being able to take a solid balance sheet or financial statement to their operator or to their banker to jump on opportunities that were in front of them. The feel good, maybe the best feel good in the last 12 months is seeing the, the growth, good growth, good land acquisitions that multiple clients had the opportunity to take on in the last 12 months. Mm -hmm. And until the big market move up, that I think the majority of American ag producers kind of get a, a gut-wrenching feeling of going out and buying additional farm ground. So I, I don't know if that necessarily fits the good side. The bad side is uh, it, it's, it's still human, you know, human emotion catches up to you. Oh, I wish I would have done X, Y, Z. Uh, and there's no way about guessing the last three years of this market from trade war to the duratio to, uh, um, you know, obviously COVID to now Russia, Ukraine tension, all these pieces intertwined. You know, the bad side is watching somebody beat themselves up about the high to low moves that take place over and over again. Uh, But there's always something good to come out of the bad. There's an opportunity to learn. And then build on those good opportunities. And let me, you know what? I got a bad one for you, a good bad one. So I worked, I told you, with uh, a couple of different co ops and banks and insurance agencies throughout the US. This yeah. is probably some of the coffee shop folks that uh, maybe get on our nerves <laughs> of adapt to the idea of a business plan and a strategy. And completely throw egg on the face of the individual that was presenting that strategy. I have the luxury of having a solid enough relationship with the producers that we work with Mm -hmm. that it doesn't get thrown back at me. Like you dumbass, what are you doing? So I saw them seeing a wave of producers within different co-op industries uh, come back at an individual that presented an idea but ultimately that business the farmer yeah. made the uh, uh the decision the, the anger that comes out of the ag industry from being wrong yeah. because the market went higher drives me nuts but you don't hear a damn thing about it when you protect it, when you protect, when you protect them on the downside.
1: Yeah. So when yeah. you protect you protect them on, you protect them with profitable, uh, solvency on the, from the downside, they don't say, Oh my God, you sure saved my bacon. But then they say, Hey, we missed $2 over here. And you say, but also you told me that you were going to lock in. And that's probably the same thing. If it's your stock, stock, uh, advisor, it's about anybody,
2: oh. I mean, it's happening right here now, Damon, with what the market's doing. Uh, yeah. You have producers bent out of shape about being 5%, 10% sold on a soybean crop at 12 bucks or 13 bucks. Yeah. I mean, get it, right. get it. Right.
1: So um, we talked a lot about markets, talking about what you do. Um, last thought on this. Uh, ag tends to be countercyclical. Sometimes ag is predictive. Um, I've been around this just a couple years longer than you, although you've got your finger on the pulse of the numbers a bit more than I do. So between my uh, a bit more history and you're a bit more finger on the pulse of the numbers, is this just a situation where 30% run up in land values, uh, what, 20 to 30% run up in commodity prices? And of course, I'm talking corn, soybeans, and wheat. I, I think a little bit on the cattle. I can't speak for everything. Uh, you know, milk's up certainly not 30%, but things are up in general. I think tree fruits are not, and, um, uh, you know, milk is up, but not certainly by that number. But in general, things are up, right? Uh, Land, of course, being the biggie. Is this predictive of where things are going everywhere? Um, And all of a sudden, because gas is up, my residence in Arizona is up that much. I mean, is this just staying even? Is it going to fall out of ag more than the other sectors from gas to housing, to other things. What's your thought?
2: Obviously it's all a good opinion. Uh, it's all um, conjecture, isn't it?
1: It's all, it's all conjecture. And you can argue it any way I could argue. Yeah. And tell, I could tell you why everything's going to fall to shit. And I can also tell you why it's going to stay this way or improve. What's your thought?
2: I'm obviously not an economist. The, the, the stimulus money that has been pushed into the U S market for the last couple of years will eventually hurt us. I don't know if it's this year. I don't know if it's next year, but it seems like the fed at this moment is scared of their own shadow. They're perhaps more scared of recession than inflation, but recent CPI numbers is just putting the crunch to the median household income and below, maybe even above median household income. Yeah, That just can't keep up that way. And unfortunately, you know, relating that back to agriculture, the end product is arguably what's going to feel the most pain first. Whenever that does happen. Now, in addition, you know, a huge component of the big price moves that we've seen in land and anything else agriculture related is, is tied back to speculative money that's chasing a return. And you know, at the conference that we were at in January, Joe laid it out very, very well that ag is in commodities is it's the highest risk return uh, investment that any money can buy. Mm -hmm. The, the, The idea of staying here and creating a new plateau, I don't agree with that. Uh, I don't even know if we have to go back to prices that we've seen in agriculture from 2014 to 18, perhaps. Uh, But prices that we would have drooled all over in those years is probably a, a realistic return at some point, but that's going to be a substantial loss for the farm, given what's, what's happened in land prices and input prices. I, I just think that uh, no, it's not a new plateau. No, I don't think it's predictive. No, I don't think it's indicative. I think you have an entire amount of money driven by computers yeah. and nowhere else to go to get a return but as soon as something changes there and too much pain is put on that money, it's going elsewhere and it's not going to be in the ag space. Yeah, I agree. Who, who, I, I kinda, wants, to, I, who I, wants to own land at $20,000 and it costs you 8% to buy it, 8% to, to borrow the money to buy it? That's not going to happen.
1: No, it's not. And and you said something really interesting there. And this is what uh, if you are business minded, financial minded and you've and you have an understanding of history, when money starts getting punished, it moves. And uh, and, and it's it, remember, it's it's people read too much into this and they get the emotional part of it. Man, it's the investment community. You know, it it moves that money moves. And when it becomes prohibitive. And and it may, like you said, on interest rates or on low returns, it will move to another place. The one thing that is boding well for everything is that there's just boatloads, <laughs> boatloads of capital sitting around right now. Uh, a session I sat through, we got like venture capital money is like four times what it was just two years ago, and that's the kind of money that throws into and, and moves moves things. You know, we talk about the funds and things like this, and so I think there's there's a lot of money floating around. There's just a, it's made things frothy and, and almost like it keeps getting frothier because it's so frothy. Mm -hmm. So. Any other last thoughts before we go? We took a little longer than I wanted to, but dear listener, this is Jared Creed. Uh, Remember, I met him because uh, he was at a conference that I spoke at, but also I met him because he works with Kelly Garrett. And uh, Kelly is one of the founding members of Extreme Ag. I want to encourage you, if you want to see what's happening on some of the more forward-minded, successfully uh, run business uh, and production farms in America, the guys at Extreme Ag, and you can check it out at extremeag.farm. We're doing product trials. I'm recording content about business, about management issues about uh, new methodologies that they're employing on their farming operations that you can then apply to yours. And even if you're not a farmer, you should probably see what we're doing over there because it's some really cool stuff. Check out extremeag.farm. If you want to find Jared Creed, the guy that's on this episode right now, Jared, where do they find you?
2: Uh easy to use. just be a phone call, old fashioned area code 402-680 one seven four four
1: it's jc as in jared creed marketing services out of hudson iowa uh and so you can find him and if, if you want to find him you can always just email me because you know where to find me that's at damienmason.com till next time jared thanks for being here my friend
2: thank you damien I really appreciate
1: it bet till next time it's the business of agriculture
0: this episode of the business of agriculture was brought to you by land trust Landowners just like you are increasing profitability by adding recreation to their portfolio of land use. Millions of recreators actively seek wide open spaces for bird watching, photography, hunting, fishing, horseback riding, and many other farm and ranch activities. Owners of farm and ranch properties are partnering with Recreation Access Network Land Trust. Land Trust is an online platform connecting recreators with landowners for outdoor experiences on their land to increase profitability. Visit landtrust.com slash boa as in Business of Agriculture to learn more. That's landtrust.com slash BOA.